joy, peace, tranquility, vibrancy, and wellness. Isn't this what you want instead of constant stress? That's what host Rochelle Lawson is going to help you with on Blissful Living. There are many ways to reduce stress, some you may not even know about. Doesn't a little peace and tranquility sound like just what you've been looking for? Relax for a few minutes with Rochelle. She's the queen of feeling fabulous. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blissful Living. I am Rochelle Lawson, the queen of feeling fabulous, and I am your host. And today's show is um, really, really intriguing in the fact that I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever thought about your cup being half full, half empty, or full? That's a question for you to ponder. And as we go through the show today, the answer to why I'm asking that that particular question will come to the forefront of your mind or will come to the fore or will be revealed to you. Um, because my guest is named Karen Hornifer Ginter. <laughs> <laughs> The world's hardest to pronounce last name. You know, I was just going to say Karen Ginter, you know, but I'm like, <laughs> Karen Hornifer Ginter. And she is this incredible lady with a wealth of information that's going to help you answer that question that I asked you because she has a book and it is being distributed by Hay House, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite places to get books and information and enlightenment and just all kind of wonderful sources that help me have a blissful life. Um, her book is called In Full Cup, Thirsty Spirit. And Karen is a psychologist that helps you understand that it is this volume, this busyness that creates a disconnect between your outer and inner life. So your outer life and your inner self, there's this disconnect. And the separation causes your soul to wilt. It prevents you from experiencing joy and hearing your own wisdom about what you really need to prioritize in your life. And so I just want to jump in and say, welcome to the show, Karen. It is my sincere pleasure to have you. Well, thank you. And it's really my sincere pleasure to get to talk with you. I well, think you have such a wonderful thing and support for so many people with the show that you do. So it's an honor to get to be a small part of it. Oh, thank you. You just make my heart beam just by saying that. I, and, I, and I love, if you guys could see the cover of her book, um, you would just, just looking at the cover of it, it's so beautiful. You would want to go out and buy it just for the cover. If you're a person like me that likes pretty things and you like them and you just buy them and figure out how you're going to utilize them later, um, this is one that I, you know, most definitely will suggest that you get. And we're going to talk more about how you can get her book. Um, but I just, I just wanted to, you know, share that with you because when people think about their lives or whatever they're doing, you know, there's people that refer to things as half full, half empty, you know, um, you know, I guess it's the optimistic, pessimistic type of people, if you want to classify or categorize people. And I don't really like to do that. But I like your I like the way your book is titled, you know, Full Cup, Thirsty Spirit, because I think all of us on this planet Earth right here, right now, 
we are searching for something and we do have a thirsty spirit and we would I know me personally, I would like to see my cup as full as possible, actually teetering on the edge of the room, right? Um, and so I know you can share information about that. So let's just jump right in. Mm-hmm. I'm so interested in this topic um, of, you know, stress in everyday life. Mm-hmm. Well, well, one of my streams of interest comes from working as a psychologist, and I certainly have heard so many people talking about trying to cope with the busyness and the stress of everyday life. I think more personally what motivated me to write this this particular book is when I crossed the threshold into motherhood a little over a decade ago now. And what I was struck by is suddenly my life felt so full, so I really had this full cup with all the things I had so wanted, you know, along with some stressors, but all these things like a family and a career, but I felt this ache because I was wanting more than ever time to be able to turn within and take care of myself and listen more deeply to my wisdom and connect spiritually. And I found that it was so hard to find that time amidst the context of my life. So it certainly gave me greater compassion for a lot of the people I was working with professionally. And I noticed as I started to talk about this this dynamic and this sort of tension this dance between this full cup feeling in my schedule but my spirit wanting some space, people really resonated to to feeling that and experiencing that as well. Mm, yeah, it's true. I mean, our lives are so busy, and I don't know if, if, if part of it is that we create the busyness or, you know, technology creates it for us where we can't get away or a combination of both or whatever. I just know that when I was a kid growing up in the 70s, 60s and 70s, um, things just seemed a lot more less busy, a lot more Mm -hmm. you were able to get away, actually, if you wanted to. And, I mean, you know, you could really check out and get away. And nowadays you can't do that because technology follows us everywhere. And so it's it's really hard for people to really check out and, quote, unquote, get away from it all and mm-hmm. there's a constant um circle of just feeling busy and in the mix and in the flow and just needing to you know be that hamster on the wheel because everybody else is doing that and so um I like that you explore this you know this aspect of this busyness but um not really being spiritually full with regards to that and the book full cup thirsty spirit I love the title but how did you come about with regards to writing the context or how did you come about formulating the information that you disseminate in this book to all of us? How did, how did that, I mean, I know you talked mm-hmm. about that, but just tell us about, tell us, tell us more. <laughs> yes, yes, sure, sure. Well, when I was both sort of sitting with this issue for myself, just noticing what was working for me and what felt challenging, as well as sitting with this issue with the people I was talking with in my counseling office, I started to look at what seemed like the top qualities, or I'll say life ingredients, that tended to get lost amidst life's busyness. And what was it that felt like, you know, if I were to name six things that felt to me like they were most essential for people to reconnect with and reclaim, what would those things be? And actually, I didn't start out naming six, but it ended up being six (laughs) as I was sitting with it. And what I found is 
that the and this is the way that the book is organized is that the first and I'll kind of name what they are and then we can talk a little bit about them if you want. But the first one was the importance of honoring our rhythms in life and how when we're on that hamster wheel as you describe it, it's really hard to pay attention inwardly in terms of when we need to slow down and pause and take some time to rest. Um, so that was one, that was kind of number one. Number two is that I think, it, also as you're describing, that we've kind of lost the art of being able to step out in a more significant way from our doing in life to be able to reconnect with who we are at a deeper level. And so I wanted to address that a bit. Um, the third, which I call filling up, looks at, you know, how can we intelligently embrace self-care and find ways of tending to our physical needs, our emotional needs, our spiritual needs in a way that does fit within the constraints of our schedule. Um, fully inhabiting our days is about how can we also show up to the busyness and the fullness of our of our day-to-day schedules in life and feel present and that we're living in our heart and that there's a quality of aliveness in that. Um, and then the fifth one is the importance of remembering lightness, that I would notice how often for myself or for others when we get stressed, we tend to get so serious and we forget to have a sense of humor. And kind of coupled with that is maybe the opposite thing of having a capacity to embrace difficulty, that when we're going through hard times, we also need to have skills to be able to show up to that as well and offer ourselves compassion. So these are the six sort of focal points that I expand on in the book and offer to people as something to consider, hmm, you know, which of these six things or which two or three are what I need to bring back into my life to help myself reduce my stress and better take care of myself. Mm, very nice. Very nice. Now, do you find that people, with, um, you know, with regards to, do you find that people are reluctant to the information? You know, mostly I find people resonating with it because it feels true to them. I think, you know, when you when you name the word re- reluctant, I do think there is so much encouragement in our culture to be on the go and to do that anything that suggests we should slow down or pause or take a day off or go and sit somewhere by ourselves, I think people can feel reluctant around that for several reasons. One being it just feels so counter to our tendencies to be on the go it doesn't immediately feel productive or necessarily valuable. And then I think what happens at a deeper level is when we take time to slow down and turn within, we realize in sort of a humbling way that when we haven't done that very often, it's not a very simple or easy skill to do it first. You know, what we might encounter is actually some of the some of the rubble that hasn't quite gotten tended to internally or that we don't really quite remember how to be versus do because it's not a muscle that we have flexed a lot in life. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I, you know, some, you know, it's funny because, you know, when you work with people, you can actually almost immediately see those that, you know, what you're discussing with them, you can see it resonate with them. You can see the light bulb come on. You can see the the enthusiasm in their eyes, you know, all that good stuff. And those that it doesn't resonate with or they kind of question it or, you know, have some doubt behind it or maybe it's not for them, and you can see that as well. But the mm-hmm. thing is that's really beautiful is uh, – and then there are – and, and let me go back. And then there are those people that it just totally is not resonating with them. And you don't mm-hmm. you know. So what's, the, what's beautiful is those that you can see the light 
you don't have to work real hard with them. I mean, they're, they're mm-hmm. gonna, they're like little sponges. They're gonna absorb and, and incorporate and, you know, all that stuff. Then those that are kinda seeing it, but, you know, you can, you know, they're kinda, mm, uh, you know, a little hesitant. They're, you know, the success stories because they, you're actually converting them over to see and they begin utilizing the, the information and the tools that you give them and then they do see the changes in their life and then they become like those that are like the little sponges and are completely awakened and aware. And um, and I think that, you know, for us as, you know, healthcare practitioners, I, I think that's what makes it so beautiful in the essence of just keep going on because you know that everything we do is not for everybody and, and it's not going to be for everybody and that's just the way life is. I don't care if it's taking medication or, you know, mm-hmm. skydiving. It's just not <laughs> going to be for everybody. But those that, you know, are teeter-tottering, and you're able to help them see the light. It's so it's so mm, fulfilling mm-hmm. that you're helping them to be the best that they can be. But you've also guided them down the path and showed them the lock, and they had the the you know that you showed them the the lock, and they had the key to the lock, and it opens up, and they have this you know wonderful essence ahead of them just by working with you. So um, I like that now. How do you hope that Full Cup Thirsty Spirit inspires people? Mm. Well, my my hope is that it inspires them to see that it really is possible both to lead a full life of these things that we so want because of their richness, whether that's community involvement or family or a rich career, um, but that it's also possible to have balance while we're doing that. Um, that it's possible to both be productive and successful and to also take time to be quiet and to listen to our wisdom within. And so when I think about, you know, my hope, if, if someone were to read the book, I hope at the end that they that they feel inspired by that possibility and that they find themselves being kinder to themselves and laughing a little bit more often in life, feeling like they can better able to take care of themselves as well as other people you know, and that they see the beauty and the sacredness in life. Because I realize when we're encountering stress in our day-to-day experience, sometimes that gets lost. We can't quite feel a sense of gratitude for our life or, or the sense of the beauty that's there. And, and my hope is that the message of the book reconnects people to that. Oh, yeah. So now, do you often find that... Um, after people, do you often communicate with people that maybe have had have read the book and you know want to uh, talk to you more about what may have inspired them to pick up the book or what you know what was one important or several important things that they got out of the book that's made a tremendous difference in their life? Do you do you actually have anybody that comes across to you like that? Mm-hmm. I have. Which of course is so meaningful, you know, as, as an author when you're writing and wondering, you know, how will this be received by people? You know, and I think, as you probably hear the book, you know, it has several different points that it makes, or I know as one of my, um, reviewers commented, it's really like several different flavors of tea that are mm-hmm. offered in these different shifts. And so what's been fun is that different people have really resonated most strongly with these different shifts sort of depending on where they're at in their life and what message is either the message they most connect with or the message that's new for them or the message that really validates what they're 
doing right now in their life. And for some people, that's mostly around this whole notion of taking time to quiet down and be still. You know, for other people, I think they've really been struck by some of the intended humor in the book and this encouragement to lighten up and be willing to let life humble us. And so it's been fun just to hear the the various responses that people have had. Yeah, that's, you know, it's ever, I I know as a person um, that writes a lot, you often wonder if what you're saying is actually getting through to those that need to hear the message. And, um, you know, that is, it's nice to hear that, it, you know, when you get that reflection back to you, it's nice to hear that, oh, yay, it's actually, what I wrote actually has meaning not just to me, but to other people yes. utilizing it. So that that is really, really, really good. Now, I know in your book, you talk about the six shifts that, in, you know, that you encourage readers to make. Can you just give us or go through, go, go through them um, with us? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll say a little bit more about them. Okay. Um, this, so this, this first one, sort of around um, honoring our rhythms, you know, part of the, the idea of that is how, again, I guess it's back to this hamster wheel idea, how we're not often encouraged to really look at what our own internal rhythm is of when we have energy to be interacting with other people and doing a lot in the world and being creative and when we really need to bring our awareness and our energy back inward and have time for rest. And one of the metaphors I use is thinking about the seasons and how, uh, I mean, the seasons can be looked at metaphorically in many ways. Mm-hmm. But one way that I'm often struck by is how, you know, the summer is such a time of vibrancy in these long days with the sun shining so brightly and that sometimes in our culture, I think we make this assumption that we're all wired with this solar nature, that we can really rise every day and shine brightly and consistently. And, and many of us are actually more lunar in our wiring, meaning that there's points in the month or in our life or in the week where we can be radiant and full, uh-huh. but there's also times where we really need to be quiet and turn our energy within. And so if I sort of take that metaphor through the year, when we think about the fall, there's sort of this awareness of needing to to both bring to fruition what we're harvesting, but also to let some things drop away and to prepare ourselves for the winter that would be a little bit more restful and quiet in hopes that then by spring we're really ready to come forth and birth something new. And not to suggest that people move through that, that sort of rhythm in sync with the months of the year, I think some people do, and I think for some people it's more that they notice throughout their life that these things do ebb and flow. And so that's really what the first shift is about, is just taking a look at, you know, what's true for you and what would it mean to to actually honor that particular movement in your life, even if that's not always encouraged by, you know, our boss or our employer, the right. culture that we live in. And yeah. And, I don't know if you want to make a comment about that, or I'll I'll jump. No, no, keep one. going because okay, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. notes. So it's, yes. it's and actually, let me just pause for a second. You guys out there listening, it would be a great time to get that piece of paper, get that pen or pencil, sit back, relax, and really take some notes. If this is, you know, if you feel compelled and you want to remember some of the stuff, of course, you can always go back and listen to the show. But um, I think this is a point in time that you're going to want to write down some of the stuff that she's going to be saying because you're going to want to remember it. All right. Go for it. Go for it. So (laughs) so I think part of... 
this this honoring our rhythms, I, if I look at what's the part of that rhythm that most gets lost in our current culture, it's anything that has to do with slowing down, resting, and turning our attention within, especially because, just as you mentioned, I think there's so many sources of stimulation that pull us outside of ourselves, mm. and they're lovely things, but it really is possible to move through the day and be texting and emailing and Facebooking and doing all these things where we're pretty constantly engaged with others around us. And so the second shift about turning within is really looking at this invitation, for instance, of the lost art of taking a Sabbath, you know, like what that even meant that that was actually, in, you know, in the Judeo-Christian religion, um, this this, uh, you know, encouragement, a commandment even, you know, and what is it that gets lost when we don't honor that? Right. And in the book, what I try to do is to encourage people to look at both what that would mean to really step out of their life that significantly and what that would mean to even think about trying to do that within the realities of what their their schedule is. And I realize that that when we think of doing something like that, it certainly intersects with our spiritual and our in our religious beliefs that for some people when they think about that sort of time it feels really sacred and that that would be connecting with whatever our understanding is of spirituality and um, whether that's being out in nature and being at one with nature or connecting and listening to God and so in the book just in a very kind of inclusive respectful way I invite people to think about that like what is their true north in life and what is it that they most essentially want to reconnect with if they were to take that time to turn within more significantly. Mm. So that's kind of number two, mm-hmm. if people are taking notes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Go, girl. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the the number three <laughs> shift is is how do we fill up and how do we think about self-care, which is a word that is, I think, sometimes almost overused, and I'm aware having taught at a university for years that sometimes mm-hmm. when people hear that word, it feels kind of boring to them and like it's the bad news, you know, like we can never eat ice cream and we just have to get all disciplined and run on a treadmill over and over again. Right. And so I try to talk about, you know, how can we enliven just that concept of self-care as being about how we can best support ourselves to feel most vital in our day-to-day life. And so in that chapter, I try to include some exercises and some um, kind of encouragement for people to really look at what's the most essential thing they can do to take care of themselves and how could they make that a priority in life and how to work with some of the mixed feelings that I think sometimes come up when we think about creating some kind of change in our health behaviors. So there's kind of a lot of good, juicy stuff in mm-hmm. that chapter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, from there... I talk about how do we fully uh, inhabit our days. And what I mean by that is really the only reason for thinking about honoring our rhythms or taking time to turn our attention within or doing self-care is so that we can have this experience in our day-to-day life of taking in the, like the quality and the magic and the beauty of what our life is. And so what I... Um, you know, try to address in this is how, as we're doing what we're doing in life, can we be present in the moment mm-hmm. and bring kind of an aliveness and a curiosity and a sense of creativity to that? Um, so I look at that, and and the last two shifts, this kind of idea of both 
remembering lightness in life mm-hmm. and having the capacity to be with ourselves with compassion when difficulty arises is, is really just about knowing if we're going to try to show up in our day-to-day life, we better be prepared for all of it. You know, we better be prepared right. from celebrating the really good and being able to bring some lightness and levity to our days and being present um, to our needs and not abandoning ourselves when life gets hard as well. So now, do you have any tips because for sharing in this? And the reason why I'm asking is because, you know, we get all wrapped up in our drama. You know, that's just the way it is. We get all wrapped up in the dramas of life, and sometimes we can't... Um, we can't evolve into the lightness. Do you have any tips that you can share with those out there listening that may be, you know, writing down these six shifts and like wondering, well, you know, what can I do when I'm, you know, what can I do when I realize I'm not in the moment of lightness, so to speak? How can I shift myself back into that? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great question. And, you know, one of the things that, that I'm aware of, I don't know if, if this is true for you as well, but I think in, in some ways it depends on what it is that's going on in our life that's causing us to not feel light. You know, sometimes it's like a little simple irritant, like a little gnat, metaphorically, mm-hmm. that's buzzing in our face. A fly. So, <laughs> fly. Yeah. And so it becomes almost enough just to, like, literally sort of take in a deep in-breath and take out a long or allow there to be this long out-breath and just sort of release that, let it go, and redirect of like, you know, I want to just bring my heart to where I feel grateful or I want to look to the good in my life. And that kind of simple redirection can be enough. But what I'm aware of is sometimes it's not just a little fly or a gnat. There's actually like an enormous boulder sitting in our gut from something that feels very heavy in our life. And I'm aware that when people are encountering that, it's just usually not enough to take a breath. (laughs) It's like not going to go anywhere. And so some of the practices I talk about in the book are how can we actually find ways of leaning into that, that discomfort and that pain and feeling it and being able to sit with what it is we need to feel and maybe cry and understand more deeply um, in our lives and how can we ask for support when that's needed for people to be with there, with us in that, whether it's professionally or a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I notice is, is I think for most of us, we haven't really been educated or encouraged to stay with ourselves when we're feeling pain. We're often encouraged as little kids, you know, it'll be okay, put a Band-Aid on it and stop right. crying and move on. Right. And so what happens is we almost create a little bit more suffering by turning away from ourselves you know, and trying just to do the simple breath and move on when, in fact, we're getting tugged to follow that thread a bit more deeply and see what's really needed. Yeah, I I like that because oftentimes people don't really, they don't really look at what may be really needed. They just, you know, what sometimes means that you actually have to do a self, you know, you really have to check in with yourself. Um, and sometimes people don't want to check in with their self because they don't want to see that what is really needed is they need to make some corrections with their self and they don't want to, they're not ready to address to make those corrections. Mm-hmm. So that can be really um, enlightening as well as, I guess, frightening for some people um, because, you know, they don't want to see what may be the truth that they may not like. 
Yeah, yeah. And Which so, I think, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, and I, I think that in and of itself deserves a lot of compassion. I mean, just for our willingness to be able to look at something and for understanding why we wouldn't want to look at something. Right. You know, and I'm and, and often for myself or for others, I think, well, of course, our first instinct is to want to run away. Yeah. <laughs> to go away and to just hope it would go away, of course. And then what does that mean when we've lived enough life to realize that doesn't always happen and to develop some courage and hardiness to to know that we actually can stay with it? You know, I think sometimes what happens is because we we can get in the habit of wanting to uh, make some of this discomfort and pain go away, we actually come to fear that we don't have it in us to really feel it. Right. And so it can actually be so empowering to take the time to really notice what it is like to feel sorrow or to feel loss or to feel anger or to feel fear and notice as we breathe in and out of that that it's not necessarily pleasant, but we actually are capable of being present to it. And usually I find that's really a doorway for people to begin to learn something a little bit deeper about themselves and whatever the life situation is, what's being asked of them, to, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of how best to respond to that. Mm, I like that. I mean, this. I mean, we could, you know, I'm potentially seeing here that we could really take this, you know, really deep. Um, of course, we don't have the time to do that, but but you know, it really does spark um, an awareness in me or curiosity, I should say, with regards to, you know, treating ourselves with the love and kindness and all that you explain in the six steps, I mean, you know, for the six shifts, but but also having that compassion. And I like how that you mentioned that is kind of like the last one, having that compassion, because I know a lot of people don't have, they may have compassion for others, but they don't have compassion for themselves. Mm -hmm. And that can be really hard to see when you know you're a person that has compassion for others and you just, and you think you're having compassion for yourself by having this compassion for others, but it's not. Um, it's that's not true. So, can you just talk a little bit more about the compassion component? Because I, I think in our society today, that might be another. Well, of course, I could say all six shifts are missing, but you know mm-hmm. that might be something that I think a lot of people just um, don't really pay attention to because of you know what I just said. Sure, sure. No, it's a great point you raise, and I notice that that's, I don't know if this is really true demographically, but I notice in my corner of the world, it's especially true for, for I'll say, women who are really good people and really helpful to a lot of people, mm-hmm. that, that it comes pretty easily to them to have compassion for others. You know, maybe they were raised with the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you'd want to have done unto yourself, and so right. they, they live that and embody that. But that you're right, I think it does sometimes feel a lot trickier to to bring that same level of self-compassion to oneself. Uh, and I think that's maybe for a couple reasons. Now, I know sometimes um, it's just out of habit, actually, that we're sort of more used to extending that to others and somehow have been raised with a message that if we're going to do good things, we better be pretty strict on ourselves or hard on ourselves, or we've internalized that voice from a parent or a teacher that is um, maybe a little bit overly disciplinarian. I think sometimes there can be a little bit of a fear, too, that that self-compassion translates into self-indulgence. Right. You know, like I'm going to become arrogant. 
uh, or I'm going to become kind of like the B word if I'm a female yeah. and seem really like full of myself. And I, so I think that there can be a little bit of misunderstanding that that really self-compassion uh, is extending, in a sense, the same generosity and kindness that we would offer to someone else to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, what I find interesting is I do think there is something about having the capacity for lightness and humor that helps a lot with self-compassion because when people tend to get hard on themselves, it's when they've made a mistake or they've encountered a limitation where they're not quite as, um, you know, good at something or, or you know, somehow they're not quite where they wish they would be. And and I'm often struck by, you know, if, if we can see both the human universality of that, that really the truth is we're all limited and we're all going to bump up against these imperfections and we can see a little bit of humor in the predicament of that, often it makes it a lot easier to have compassion for ourselves in, yeah. in such moments. Um, and, I, and, I, and I notice in the book, you know, one of the things I include are some of these little snippets where for myself I had to embrace these imperfections and lighten up and just like a little snippet around this is one story I tell is a day I was in the grocery store when my children were one and two and mm-hmm. I have stained vegetables on my sweatshirt and I haven't showered and my greasy hair is clipped up on my head <laughs> and I get to the grocery store and my daughter's pacifier falls on the ground and I'm spitting on it trying to get it back in her mouth and my son is screaming out for a donut you know, and I'm a holistic health professor, right. and I'm suddenly encountering all these people that I know that are like, you know, Dr. Hornifer, <laughs> is that you? And I, and I just am, you know, I kind of use it as an example where, you know, I had to be able to laugh at it. Right. I had to just be able to laugh at, you know, here's the, just this way that, that um, I'm not living up to all of what I, you know, in one way should be or could be. Uh, so I don't know if that connection makes sense, but I just have found that sometimes that humor is what kind of can open it up and soften our hearts where then we can have more acceptance and kindness for ourselves. Yeah, you know, this is, I'm going <clears> to <throat> specifically call out the type A personality people, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which me being one, um, because I think we don't, well, I don't think, I know, I know we don't have compassion with ourselves. I mean, I know that's like probably one of the hardest things. I can, here I am, you know, this this loving, caring, you know, I want to take care of everybody, you know, give, love giving, oh my gosh, you know, to everyone, making everyone, you know, life as, as you know, nice as I possibly can do within the context of my control. But then I'm hard on myself. I don't have compassion when I when I don't achieve my highest goals or whatever or get things completed or get my to-do list done that I have for the hour when it really should be a to-do list for the day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I sometimes find myself getting caught up in that trap of being hard on myself, mm-hmm. you know, or just like, you know, really you know, you know, you shouldn't have spent so much time talking to that person or, you know, you should, you know, look how behind you are, blah, 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 blah. And then I realize after I start hearing this, you know, I hear myself talk and talk. And I mean, it could be like for a while, like, well, why are you being so hard on yourself? Because maybe at that particular time you needed to talk to that person that extra 15 minutes, maybe not for your sake, but for their sake. You may have said something to them that could have changed their life. You know, they may be on the verge of, um, you know, uh, 
you know, being suicidal or anything. And that extra 15 minutes you spent talking to them, even though it may have put you behind and messed up your schedule for the day, you may have saved someone's life. Or, you know, um, you know, it's okay that you didn't get your whole list of 25,000 things done in this hour. It's okay because maybe you didn't need to do all 25,000 of those things. Maybe what the, what God and the universe is telling you is that it's okay to do these five things because that's what you really needed to accomplish. And the other 25 things was just occupying your time, this busy work that you could probably hand off to someone else to do for you. So it's, you know, it's, it's really, um, hard for people with type A personalities to sometimes step out the outside the box and look at yourself. Um, mm-hmm. I'm here to tell you, as a, of course, type A personality, it's always <laughs> a path. I mean, it's always you know my unique path down my journey to bliss. And and as long as I can pull myself back sometime and, and recognize that, I think then I'm doing not only a betterment for myself but a betterment for those that are around me that I love and care about and a betterment for the world. So type A personalities, you don't have to be hard on yourself if you don't finish the whole thousand things on your list to do today. It's okay. With that, right? Say that one more time. You would agree with that. It's okay. I would. Yeah. Yeah. And I love your reminder with that because, because I'm, you know, I'm both struck by, because I'm a huge list maker too, so I so know that place, and and I think there's a beauty in that because if we look at the intention behind it, we're wanting to make the most of our lives. I mean, what a beautiful thing, you know? Like we're wanting to get it done and and do what we do with excellence. And there's something so lovely behind that. But I I hear you that then the suffering can come in when we've actually gotten a little bit overly eager with our list. And I know one of the things that, that helped me with that, and I think I um, wrote a little article about this, is the the children's stories that are called uh, Frog and Toad by Arnold Lobel. I don't know if you remember those from when you were a kid. They're kind of classic stories. Yeah. And, and um, you know, Frog is a little more laid back and Toad's kind of your type A personality. <laughs> and the, there's one one story that is so masterfully done that I'll just say succinctly where where um, Toad has created his list for the day. And so his list starts up like, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to go visit Frog. And then it kind of goes from there. And so he goes and, and writes wake up even after he woke up just so he can cross it off his list. And I'm like, I've done that before. <laughs> I was you know, really relating to Toad. And then he, you know, goes and gets Frog and they go out and they're finishing off the things on his list. And then suddenly his list blows away. And Toad says, no, my list is blowing away. And Frog says, well, let's go run after your list. And Toad says, I can't. And Frog says, why? And Toad says, because that's not one of the things that was on my list. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. Isn't that great? You know, and when I read that, and I'm sure other people that are list people can relate, you know, it made me see I get so Velcroed in my attachment to these lists that, that, you know, that's the problem. It's not really the making them. It's just where it becomes so ridiculous, where I would be just like Toad, where I would, you know, be doomed if my list blew away and then, you know, have to reach that, like, but what do I do? This isn't within my little structure that I created for the day. So that's where, again, I guess I just love, you know, if we can have a little bit of um, laughing at and with ourselves around it, too, I think that helps balance out the 
the gift of these structures we come up with. I love it because I'm like, so I could totally, I'm like, okay, I'm really, I could totally relate to that. I can't chase after my list because that's not one of the things to do on my list. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is, that is classic. That's beautiful. I love it. If, if nothing else happens good in my day, I have that to hold on to because, <laughs> oh, that is so Rochelle. So. Yeah, well, yeah, thank Arnold LaBelle for that and his masterful children's books. Yeah, that is, oh, wow. Thank you so much for that. I mean, this is, yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I know that kind of sums it up, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. It's just great. I love it. Okay, let me get back focused, okay? Because, you know, I do have my list. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry. Sorry, listeners. I'm I'm having uh, just so much fun with Karen because, as you can tell in her voice, I don't know if you guys hear this or if you pick up on stuff like this, but I do. Her voice is the kind of voice that is so loving and so caring and so nurturing, and it's just the tone of your voice. And so if I was a little kid, even a big kid like I am now, and I wanted you to read me a story, I would instantly go to sleep because your voice just puts you in that place of just, you know, it's okay, Rochelle, it's okay to be where you are. It's okay to be how you are. I'm going to love and nurture you just how you are and let you know that it's okay because Mm. No, your cup is full and your spirit is thirsty, but I'm going to help you relieve that thirst in your spirit. And so that's what I get when I hear your voice. I may have to just keep the secret recording. Oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> that's what it's, uh, you know, it just fits that, you know, you're an author with Hay House and all the wonderful stuff that they do. And okay, I can, I'm getting on a soapbox here and I'll, but yes, totally. I'm being a little selfish because I'm, it's really self, self self-fulfilling for me, but um, that's what you bring, Karen. So thank you so much. Now I know that um, you encourage the readers in the book to take time to be quiet and turn their attention within. And, um, I know for many people they don't get that or they just feel I don't have the time or what exactly does that mean? What exactly um let me let me see. Aren't you asking the impossible of a very very busy, active, hectic, stressful, overwhelmed, overloaded people to do this? Are 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 you asking the impossible for us to do this um by taking some time to be quiet and turn our, you know, our our attention within? Mhm. And you know, and I love that question because I, you know, in one way I think, yeah, <laughs> kind of. But but I think I don't think it's impossible. But I do think it's radical because we do get so stuck as a culture in this way of thinking, which is that if we're busy, you know, our time is taken, so we don't have the time to turn our attention within. And I I certainly understand and have experienced that way of living, but what I have found for myself and for others is that when people connect to this desire that they really do feel like they're missing something as they're constantly on a hamster wheel and not like cultivating a deeper inner life and they really sincerely connect with that desire that they would like to find some ways to have time for that it's amazing you know almost in a magical way how different opportunities can open how suddenly we realize wait a minute i actually could spend five or ten minutes here or there 
doing some simple things like pausing and connecting to my breath or just stopping the activity that I'm doing. And sometimes I find, you know, along with my encouragement to take mini breaks like that, and I'll just mention one of the resources I have on my website that's referred to in the book also is this 50 Ways to Take a Break. And I have this little poster that has a little visual for 50 ideas of how we might spend five minutes or 20 minutes taking time as a break. So I think that all of that has value, but I do know that sometimes people can't even really connect to the value of that unless they have at some point stepped out of life for maybe a whole day or multiple days or a part of a day enough to even listen within to a degree that they see, wait a minute, I really do want this time in this space. So sometimes even though I think it can be... um, hard in a practical way to figure out how am I going to, you know, how in the world am I going to schedule that in? I encourage people before they hit that obstacle to first really connect with their longing behind it because when they connect to that longing and create a commitment to have that time in life, you know, I swear there is a way that like they think more creatively and more flexibly and suddenly it's like, wait a minute, I, I fundamentally am in charge of my life. I do have 24 hours a day. I do have seven days a week. I do have 12 months a year. You know, there are some ways I can make this happen. So that's what I try to inspire, encourage people to do. I don't think it's like a one formula fits all. You know, I just realize we all have our different work commitments, family commitments, our own rhythms. But I, but I feel like if we can encourage each other to listen deeply and get a little bit more creative, we can find some solutions. I like that, and because I do encourage people to take some time out, and what I tell them is it resets yourself. <coughs> Excuse me, it resets you, and it doesn't have to. I okay, I'm a certified meditation specialist, so I really, really um, believe in the healing power of meditation and and just the wonderful benefits that come from it. But mm-hmm. you know. As a, a talking to a lay person that may not even have a clue of what meditation is or don't feel that they can spend, you know, 35 hours levitating above the ground, which is I'm, I'm funny here because that's sometimes what people think. Um, I tell them, well, just take a minute, you know, out of your day. We have so many minutes in the day. You should be able to take a minute out of your day to just get quiet and just do some deep breathing and reflect and, um, you know, um, really nurture yourself. It's actually a, a act of self-love. Um, mm-hmm. Because when you do that, you allow yourself to reset and recharge and even revive, but you also allow yourself to be, be the best that you can be because you're loving yourself and putting yourself first so that you can be the best for those that you love and care about or, you know, fulfill your responsibilities that you have. And it really does change the tone of the day. If you're in the middle of, you know, having a really stressful moment or stressful day, you know, just take a minute. If you have to go get up and walk to the bathroom and take a minute and sit in the stall and just, you know, do some deep breathing or whatever it takes. If you have to, if you're at the stoplight, you know, and it's, you know, mm-hmm. stoplights usually are longer than a minute. Take that minute to, instead of being pissed off at the driver in front of you because they made you miss the, the green light, you know, take that minute to just sit and, and just, you know, do, do a little mental check-in and it, it will, it, you'll, it'll catch on and you will have 
um, you'll begin to like it. And then you'll be, you know, you maybe do a minute now. Next time you do two minutes and then you're up to five or whatever the case may be. But I think it's really a beautiful way to love ourselves in the midst of our busy, challenging, hectic, chaotic schedules. Well, I love how you say that. (laughs) I mean, if people, if you know, when people hearing that, if they don't, believe you how can they not <laughs> you know it's so it's so clear you speak from experience and i both agree wholeheartedly you know and i know for myself that i am so aware from my experience that when i take time to do that my day flows better and i yeah. and i actually get things done more efficiently and effectively so i think i get the time back and i know i am imperfect and i will never when I say to myself, like, okay, this is my daily practice, I've come to know that I'll never do my daily practice every day because I just don't. <laughs> like something will come up or I'll be running late or I'll oversleep. And, and so I think part of the practice, too, for me has been not beating myself up about that, but just knowing, well, you know, I didn't do it today, but there's tomorrow and there's a lived experience I have that this is helpful, just what you're saying, taking that time. It's so um, it's such a form of self-love. And and I will, you know, be inspired to do it tomorrow. And I have found that that sort of flexibility is helpful also. And I think helpful for other people so that it's not a setup where we are saying, we have to do this every day and then, you know, we're bad if we don't, you know. Because yeah. I, I, I also get life has its ebbs and flows and some days it doesn't happen. And and you guys out there listening, it's okay if you don't do it every day. It's okay if you forget. It's okay. But then the next time you remember, just just remember to try and incorporate it into your day. And like I said, it doesn't have to be, you know, a 30-minute or 15-minute session or 10 minutes. It could be just a minute. It could be just you, um, you know, just you just tapping into yourself. There's something that I like to kind of give an acronym to people. And it's stressed, you know, the word stressed, which when you think of the word stressed, there's all these connotations. You all, immediately your body starts to go into a knot, you know, a knot. You just start bundling up. And what I tell people is in order to, in Ayurveda, what we do is in order to uh, cure an imbalance or correct an imbalance, you have to do the opposite of what's presenting in front of you. So if you're stressed, the opposite of stress would be calm. And I say the acronym for calm is, you know, close your eyes. Allow your body to relax, okay? Let go of the tension that you might be feeling in one area of your body and then become mindful of your breath. And when you do those four little things, and it can, it takes five seconds, you really are able to check in and tap into, okay, yes, I'm stressed. Now I've closed my eyes. Okay, that's, a, that's number one because that's going to change the chemistry that's going on inside of you. Now I'm, I'm allowing myself, my my body to relax where it might be tense. You know, if it's in your jaw, you focus on that area. And then, you know, um, just allowing things to happen as they come and being mindfully present with it and then allowing the breath to bring you back into a sense of even more calmness. And it takes 30 seconds, guys. You will begin to do a shift. And so that stress will, you know, every time you're feeling stress, well, maybe not every time, but it'll become more prevalent in your life that, oh, I'm stressed. I want to be calm. Let me do these four little simple steps. I'm in a meeting. I'm stressed. These people are driving me crazy. Let me just focus on calm or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's just a simple little thing of just doing it. That'll that's, um, that's beautiful. 
that allows um, us to reset. And so it goes with what you're saying and it goes with being compassionate, you know, um, with ourselves. And and really, um, really, that is a, really the most important thing we could do is really love ourselves and take time to really nourish and nurture ourselves. And in your book, in your book, I know people will find the resources and the tools and the information that they need and that they're seeking so that they can have a full cup and and their spirit won't be thirsty because they'll have, you know, they'll have the the water, the evidence, the essence that will help cure them and hydrate them fully so that their cup can be full and, and at the at the rim, like how I like mine to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Um, okay, so... Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm I'm talking so much. I'm running out of time here. Oh, but I love what you're sharing, by the way, and the way you just explained that. And what a great acronym! You know, your voice is also so soothing. I thought, oh, people should just tape record you saying that and carry that around with them on their iPods. Yeah, just just what I said with regard. I mean, it'd be just you know, it just it. Uh, what I try to bring to people is things that uh, you know, me being a Type A personality. Um, that is just what has worked for me. And it took a long time and a lot of hard knocks and <clears throat> stumbling down my path of bliss and coming across big mountains and going in the deep ditches for me to figure out this, that I needed to do this for myself because I can't be the best for those that I love and care about if I'm not being the best with myself and for myself. And mm-hmm. so the journey, you know, it's not perfect, but what I try to do is just, like, you just pull out things that, you know, people can – this may work for you, but this may not work, but this may work for you. And, you know, and, and I, I just know that um, it will change people's lives little by little. And hopefully our planet will become more peaceful, more joyful, more loving. You know, I was hoping this big, huge domino effect occurs with all of us doing this wonderful work that, you know, there's no wars, there's no hate, there's, you know, there's no violence, there's no unnecessary killing and, you know, People are living healthy and long and vibrant and, you know, living that life that they truly want to live. And so that's that's pretty much, you know, why I do what I do and bring mm. my show like you that helps us to tap into the wisdom that is out there, but it may not be in the forefront of our mind. And then you come and you share what your your gifts are, and it allows this wisdom to be in the forefront of so many more people's minds. So I I, I love that, and I, I thank you so much. I thank you for being a guest on the show, and I'm so oh, we have so much more to talk about. But our- well, it's been my pleasure, really. It's you're such a delight to speak with, and. Your show is wonderful, and I I do hope, you know, in any way my message can offer inspiration as your message does. I hope it also inspires people to be offering their messages to others. You know, I'm just so aware of how we all can be these lights and um, motivators and inspirers for each other. (laughs) So It takes, as you know, the old saying, it takes a village to raise a child, and we're the village, and we're just going to start, you know, raising people one by one. And I think if I if we can do that, if we touch somebody today with our conversation, you know, that's one more person that, you know, that we may have enlightened or awakened to this essence of, you know, just really living this really um, wholesome and loving and blissful life. And a little by little, you may never, you know, you never know what may happen. We may look out, and then we see all beautiful light shining that we were able to touch just by, you know, the little domino effect that I call um, that happens when 
you awaken souls to the essence of living blissfully and, and beautifully. So thank you so much. And so before we go, I want people to know how they can get this book. Now, I know I want them to know how they can get the book, how they can get in touch with you if they want to more know more about you or, you know, reach out and work with you or, you know, all that good stuff. So can you please share with us that information? Sure, sure. Well, I have a website, which is fullcupthirstyspirit.com, and that has uh, a bunch of different resources and links to different things. And uh, including places to get my book. But, you know, mostly I think it's available most everywhere. So it's on the typical Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Hay House, Powell's online. And and certainly if people have local bookstores and if they're carrying it, it's always great to support local bookstores as well. Um, But I would love hearing from people. Um, And I think my website might be the easiest way because there's ways to kind of get me from there. So you guys listening, please go to um, www.fullcupthirstyspirit.com. Again, you will want to pick up this book. I, I tell you, just by looking at the cover of it, if you don't even read the book, just get <laughs> put it on your desk. Because when you look at the cover of the book, it really does, I want to say, ground you into the essence of restoring peace and balance and love and mm-hmm. harmony and joyfulness. And health, of course, um, into your life just by looking at the book. I mean, it's it's amazing. I don't know how you guys developed the concept for this, the book cover, but that's what it does for me. And I'm just looking at a little tiny segment of it. So imagine if I had the big book on my desk. I would be fabulous and I would, you know, be compassionate with myself all the time because I'm going to follow the six shifts and incorporate them into my life. And I have that book as a constant reminder. So go out, get the book, you guys. And, and please let Karen know um, if, you, if if her work has reached out and touched you through her book, please let her know because she would love to hear that. Um and I and I know you guys would love to share the the goodness that her book brings to you. And so with that, I keep rambling on because I'm so shy and I don't talk very much. <laughs> I'm going to say thank you, Karen, for being such a wonderful guest on my show today. And truly um, has enlightened my heart chakra and it's beaming with these beautiful, beautiful essence of green and pink and um, just uh, lots of love here. And as you guys know, um, you have been listening to your hour of blissful living. I am Rochelle Lawson. My guest today was Karen Hornefer Ginter and a very fabulous doctor. I should probably call you Dr. Karen, but um, very fabulous guest with lots of loving information for you. Please go get her book. You will not be sorry. Okay, so again, thank you for listening, everyone. Have a fabulous day. And I am Rochelle Lawson. I'm wishing you peace to your mind, wellness to your body, and tranquility to your spirit. Until next week, be well, be compassionate, and most assured, check in next week. Take care, everyone. Bye. You can find out more about Rochelle on her website, Rochelle Lawson, R-O-C-H-E-L-E, Lawson, L-A-W-S-O-N, or at healthhealingwellness.com. Or just click on her websites from the webtalkradio.net page right in front of you. And of course, you'll want to come right back here next week for another episode of Blissful Living. Thanks for joining us.